Amen. You know, when I say the phrase, cry wolf, you probably have a story that comes to mind. You probably have a story that comes to your mind where somebody tricked you and somebody said something that wasn't true just to kind of play a joke on you. And if you were to ask me, hey, Nick, when you hear the phrase, cry wolf, what is a story that comes into focus for you? And I've got a very vivid story because uh, several years ago, this has been about four years ago, before me and Emily had children, uh, we were living over at Calvert City at the Oak Park Boulevard, the apartment complex. Some of y'all been there. Uh, we had a great neighborhood, uh, as in we had a great duplex with all kinds of people. We knew all of our neighbors, had a great relationship with them. And uh, we had had a few, apart- a few apartment problems while we lived there. We had a few occurrences where things just did not work out like we thought they should work out. Uh, like had some electrical issues. We had one time where the renter above us, we didn't know her, but she tried to flood the apartment. She left all the sinks going and water came through our light fixtures. Uh, so it was like crazy. Like it was a wild time over the Oak Park Boulevard. But still to this day, if you were to ask Emily, one of the best moments she's ever had getting me happened about four years ago. I was uh, spending time in disciples with the boys. I was playing Fortnite. It was late uh, in the night. It was about 11 o'clock at night. And all of a sudden, my wife is in the back bedroom. Uh, We have a two-bedroom apartment. And there's a bathroom right beside our main bedroom. And in that bathroom, we'd had some water issues here there. And all of a sudden, my wife is in the very back of the apartment. And I hear her say, Mike, Nick, you better come in here. There is water running out of the bathroom. And so I literally, you know, I'm like, oh, goodness. I, oh, my goodness. I take my headset, throw it down. The boys are like, we're dying. We're dying. I got to go. Uh, you know what I mean? And I run back there, Mike, and she had stacked water bottles coming out of the bathroom. Some of y'all didn't get it. She had stacked literally water bottles coming out of the bathroom, and she was recording me because I came booking it. I don't know what I was going to do, but I was going to act like I knew what I was doing, amen. Uh, and I came, and there I was, I was like, uh, and she was dying laughing, and she was hysterically about to cry because she was like, I got you, I got you, and she had saw it on TikTok. I don't have TikTok. I don't do TikTok. I think, you know, don't get me started on TikTok. Uh, but she had got me really good by crying wolf and saying, hey, there's water coming out of her bathroom. Now, was she lying? No, there really was water water coming out, but not in the form I thought it was, amen. Uh, And so I say all that to say, when somebody says things, you question the source of the material automatically. Like when Esther tells me something, I automatically question like, hey, what's really going on here? What do you mean? Because sometimes she doesn't fully understand what she's saying. She'll say, it's hot. Uh, The latest thing is she'll say, it's nasty to get out of eating, right? Or my classic favorite, a potty, a potty. Uh, You know, when she don't want to do something, she just starts saying potty. So you've got to question who is saying something to really know if the information is bona fide in what you're being told. You think about the predicament of the very first messengers God sends out to share the gospel were men that were disqualified. These were men who were the lowest of the low in the cultural setting they lived in. You know, the Bible tells us explicitly that when God chose to make his big announcement of his son's birth, he did not send uh, messenger, messengers to the forest reaching to the richest. He did not send, hey, come and see who has been born today in the city of David, a public proclamation for everyone to come. No, who God chooses to work through, even to this day, is those who are lowest among us. And think about that statement that he could have came to anybody, but instead he comes to shepherds. 
He comes to the people who in all regard are the dirtiest people during that time period. These are people who they slept out in the fields. They slept out where the sheep were to watch over them. They were not able to come in and uh, participate in the rituals of sacrifice. So by most modern accounts, they weren't even considered to be religiously unclean to the point where they were not even welcome much in town because people knew, hey, these are shepherds. Some of them thought they were thieves. Some of them thought they were gossips. Many people thought I had this big, huge, massive cultural belief about shepherds that they were not to be trusted when it came to the things of God. And isn't it like our God to choose what is foolish to confound the wise? Isn't it like our God to take the dirty and bring in the message of cleanliness? Because once again, I want to draw your attention, I think just by slowing down and reading the text, you can see what I'm getting at here. Because look what the angels say to them. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. I bring you good news. I don't bring you just any news. I bring you good news. You know what I love about news? News is things that have already happened. I don't know if you knew that or not. News is giving a report about things that have already taken place. So whenever they say, I bring you good news, they're not saying I bring you a good announcement. No, they're saying I bring you good news. Good news, why? Because God has already won, and I'm going to tell you how he's already won, by giving you the announcement of how he has won. Does that make sense? So it is good news. It is the gospel. That's what that phrase is. This is the gospel. This is an announcement that, guess what? That Christ has already won. They're just reporting about what's already taken place. So it's good news. And what, what's the big emphasis here? It's for all the people. It's not just for the Jew. It's not just for the Roman. It's not just for the religious. It's not just for the rich. It's not just for the poor. This is for all people. Guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but Christianity was the very first people group that said all people are made in God's image. It was Christianity. It was Christians that said, hey, women are co-equal image bearers of God as man. I want you to know that it was Christians who first said, guess what? It doesn't matter if you're black, white, or yellow, or brown. All people are precious in God's sight. It was the Christians who said we all bear God's image because God is for all people. God always has been for all people. And you see this here in the text. It's for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior who is Christ the Lord. And he gives them that sign. But look what he says. Look at the song they sing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Among those whom he is pleased. You know, if you are like Pastor Nick, it is sometimes really difficult for me to see God as Father because I did not have a good earthly father. You know, it's really difficult for me at times because your earthly father's relationship with you kind of affects your heavenly father's relationship with you, not on God's end, but on your end of the spectrum. And so think about this statement here where he says, God is pleased with you. You know, if I went around right now and asked all of you, if I took a brief survey and said, hey, do you think God is pleased with you? I would probably bet, and I would probably beg to differ that most of you would say, I don't think God's pleased with me. I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, and I've done that. But here's the best news of all. Here's the good news of the gospel. God is pleased with you, not because anything you've done or haven't done. God is pleased with you because for the first time in human history, he's not looking at our goodness or our wickedness, but he's looking at the perfectionness of his son. And that's good news. Because you're getting graded, not on your test, but on his test score. 
Thank God the professor has a curve, amen. I mean, thank the Lord that, you know, that you, you were going to put your test in and Christ said, no, 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 you can have my test. And he scribbled out your, his name and put your name on it. And you had a perfect score because it's not your work that God is looking at that makes him pleased. It's Christ's finished work that makes him pleased with you. So it's not about I have to do good in order to get good, or if I do bad, there's going to be bad that happens. No, from God's perspective, God is pleased with you because it's not about our works, but about the finished work of Christ. But every time, look at me here, look at me. This is critical you get this. Every time, though, that I confuse it and think, I have to earn my salvation, I have to be a, my goodness is what gets me into heaven, I'm denying the gospel. Look at me, that's where many Christians get in a lot of trouble. They forget that we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because we are prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. You know what that means? That, that, I know him singing about, Lord, I, I'm prone to wonder. It means we're, we're wondering, thinking, hey, God loves me less today. We're like, a, we're like Ariel plucking uh, 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 sunflowers, amen, saying he loves me not. He loves me. You can tell I have a, I'm a girl that, amen. Uh, you can say he loves me. He loves me not. We're like that. When at the end of the day, every petal of that flower says God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Why? Because it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God. I really didn't really understand love. I'll be honest with you. I thought I did when I got married. I said, I love Emily. I said, the vows, right? But then when you have a child, you're like, man, this is, this is love. Because I know in my being, there's nothing those kids could do that make me love them less. There's not a thing on the planet. Because the, their love is not based on anything they have done for me or anything they're going to do for me. Their love is based on who they are to me. And the way that I look at them as an earthly father, God looks at us as a heavenly father and so much more love because his love is perfect. Can we fathom that? That God is pleased with us. God is pleased with us because he's pleased with his son. What a powerful thing. Because what does God do? What is God's mission throughout human history? Our isolation becomes his destination. That's the shepherds here. That's a big message point I want you to get. Their isolation became Christ's destination. That oftentimes when you feel like you've done wrong, when shame and guilt eat at your soul, you know what you do? You retreat. And we're cowards. You know how I know we do that? I do that. At the end of the day, if I feel like Emily has really wronged me and I feel like she's really done something bad, I will be like a daggum little child and I'll pout. Can I get an amen from the husbands in the room? You'll pout, right? You'll get over there and she'll be like, what's wrong? Nothing. Nothing. And then she'll finally, once you talk about it, you'll be like, you just don't appreciate me. Uh, you know what I mean? And we'll pout. Again, we, when we pull back, and ladies, you might think, I don't do that. You do it too. We're all toddlers on the inside. Amen. Where if we don't get our way, we pout. And shame and guilt have ate away at us where we isolate. And the Word of God says we've been isolated from the Father since the Garden of Eden itself. That there has been a barrier, there's been a gulf that we could not climb. There's been a, the height we could not climb. There's been a gulf we could not span. And the only way we could get back to God is if God gets with us, if God comes to us. Christianity is the only faith that flips the, the paradigm. Now, what do I mean by this? All of, every faith around the world says, guess what? We have to work our way to God. We've got to climb a ladder. We've got to do plus B, plus, plus A, plus B, plus C equals we get to be with God. Or we get to become God's, what most of those faiths believe. 
Christianity is the only belief system, the only true belief system that flips the entire narrative on its head and says we were not able to get to God, therefore God had to get to us. God had to get to us. Because every other story, guess what? You're the hero. You're the one who does good. And God rewards your goodness by allowing you entry into his presence. Look at me here. Christianity is very different from that. Why? Because it is God's goodness that allows you to be in his presence. It is his goodness that allows you to be in his presence. It is his grace. It is his mercy that seeks us out in isolation and brings and comes to us himself to make us his destination. If there's anything that wraps up the entire narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is God wants to be with his people. From the Garden of Eden to the new city in Revelation, God longs to be with his people. God removes barrier after barrier say, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. I want to bring you into my presence because I want you to walk by goodness and mercy. I want you to be with me. And so you better thank God that God sought you out. You ever heard somebody say the phrase, I found God, they're lying. You just turned around, brother. You quit running, sister. This is the Lord who finds us. No one seeks after righteousness. No, not one. You are here today because God called you. God drew you in with his loving kindness. God sought you out. God came to you in your isolation because he made Christmas his destination. That's such a powerful, I think, really, really focal point in that passage. But you know what I love about the shepherds? Is they didn't keep quiet. They had every reason to hear this great news and think, this is awesome. They, if they would have been now, if my mom would have been there, she would have been Facebook Live, amen. There's angels there. Can y'all see them? And she'd have the camera right here, right? Uh, anybody else uh, relate to FaceTime and grandmas? I mean, they don't know how to work it, praise God. And, uh, but can you imagine this, that they could have just sat quiet and said, man, this is pretty neat. Can you imagine, like, if they'd kept quiet 20 years? Steve, you remember that time we were over at Bethlehem and the angel showed up? Boy, that was crazy. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, they could have kept quiet. But it says they heard such great news that they had to tell somebody. You know how I know we're not excited about the Lord as much as we say we are? Because we don't tell anybody. Because when you have a good experience, you tell everybody. And when you have a bad experience, you tell everybody. You know, when you have a good experience, you're like, man, that restaurant was amazing. That food was absolutely pristine. I'm telling you, that food was, oh, it was so good. But if you have a bad experience, you even tell people, hey, what about over there? It was bad. It was bad. You know, before I, before I had kids, I used to make fun of people who all they did is show pictures of kids. Now I'm that dad. Let me show you what she did. Let me just show you what Lottie did. She's on her side. She can't roll over yet, but she just gets her leg going. Let me just show you. Let me show you how Esther parades around the house in a swimsuit when it's negative degrees outside. Uh, let me just show you because I'm proud. I'm a proud dad. When you get any news, you want to tell everybody. This is why Facebook's so addictive to us because we want to share whatever the good or bad news is in our lives. They call it a news feed, right? Because you want to share it. You want to tell everybody what you're doing and you want to make them feel bad because they're not doing what you're doing. The shepherds, they hear the good news, and it says they went around and they told everybody. Look what it says. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. They heard the good news. They went and checked out the source. They went and found the baby, and then it says they went on and they told everybody. There's a Christmas hymn we sing. We don't sing it very often. It says, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. That Jesus Christ is born, right? Because they went out and they told everybody. They didn't care about the stereotype. They didn't care about what people were going to think. Because they knew the news was not about them. The news was about everyone. They had good news to tell. They went around and told everybody. Pastor Nick, how in the world 
Could these men who are so far from God, so far from religious people, so far from culture, so distant from the society, how in the world could they have such boldness to go? Because once again, they were not sharing their news, they were sharing God's news. They were sharing God's story. It reminds me of the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, there's a woman, if you did not know, who she is uh, living a pretty promiscuous life. Uh, she is uh, there at the well, and uh, Jesus is actually waiting on her, the text says. He's waiting to draw water, and this woman comes in the middle of the day to get water out of the well. And if you did not know the story, Jesus kind of talks to her. And she says, hey, you know, why are you here? And he says, I'm here to get water. She's like, you've got nothing to draw with, bro. Uh, you know what I mean? And she, he says, well, you know, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for living water, and I would give you living water. And she says, let me have this water. I'm paraphrasing here. Don't be reading this. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, and, he, and she says, well, you know, let me have some of this water. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus kind of, he twists the entire story. He says, well, where's your husband at? She's like, I don't have a husband. Uh, and he says, you're right. You've had five husbands. She said, oh, snap. Uh, you know, and she's, she really starts like pulling back like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. And Jesus starts pressing her even more about her relationship with the Lord. He does it very discreetly. Of course, she brings up, we, I've heard about the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will reveal these things and all this. But I want to show you what happens here. In the middle of the story, the very, very tip into the middle, it says this is what happens when the woman leaves the well. Jesus reveals to her that he is the Christ. Look what happens. Just then, his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with the woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Is that not a baffling statement? I, you must be perfect. I must be preaching a room full of saints this morning. Jesus takes her dirty laundry and pulls it out of the hamper, wrings it out, and puts it on display for us. You've had five of these. Her deepest, darkest secrets she's been holding for years. He takes it and he pulls it out in the open, pulls it out in the open for her to see, and he loves her in spite of it. Look at me here. He loves her in spite of it. He's offering her living water in spite of her dirty laundry. He loves her over top of it. I don't think you understand what I'm getting at here. He loves her in spite of her own self. And what does he do? He, he shows such love for her that when she sees this kind of overwhelming grace and mercy and love in her life, she goes into the village and she doesn't say, I've met the man who's going to give us living water. That's what I would say. I'd walk in town and says, man, I met a guy who's telling us that we can all be saved. We come talk to no, she goes into town and says, come see a man who told me everything I've ever did. Come see a man who took out all my dirty laundry and put it before me, and therefore I had to see it, but he loved me in spite of it. What in the world would drive her to do this? What in the world would drive her to go into town and say, I've met a man who told me everything I've ever done? Because the point I want to show you is her shame becomes his glory. 
What used to be, some of this used to be hiding and holding back and guilt either. So what she used to be ashamed of, Christ forgave her of that. And so now her shame becomes something to glorify Christ in because the dirtier the sinner, the more perfect the Savior. And this is such good news, church, because we've all got laundry. We've got hampers full of stuff we've buried and we've put other clothes on top of it. Even this morning we came in looking all fresh and clean, our Christmas goodies. I'm thinking, God, me and Pat ain't matching, amen. And I'll tell you, at the end of the day, I'm very thankful for the good stuff I have. But do understand, every Sunday we come in here, we're clothed in filthy rags, the Word of God says. And we've got no righteousness. We've got no goodness. We've got nothing. But Christ looks at us and looks at everything we've done and loves us in spirit of it man good news that's good news you've never been married before have you because that's the hardest part about marriage is you see it all you see it all amen like when you're dating you put it out the best foot forward like for you ladies in here you probably were dating and you shaved them legs every day you know what I'm saying? Then as the years go by and the months go by, the hair gets a little longer. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I'm just picking at you here to begin. I mean, I, but you put your best foot forward. I praise God I had hair when we were dating, amen, me and Emily. Because I put my best foot forward. I'd, I'd clean up my Jeep. I'd shine it for hours because I wanted to put the best version of myself out there. She, she would do something make me mad, and I'd just bite my tongue and say, we can do that. But when you're married, you're just like, I don't even care. We're married. <laughs> And you're just like, all the impressiveness is gone, and you're just raw before each other thinking, this is what I look like. This is who I is. And you hold nothing back, and that's the beauty of a covenantal relationship, is that when you are saying you love them, you're not saying them because of what they're going to do, you're saying, I love you because I make a commitment to you to love you for who you are. How can we even talk about these things? Because... Christ does more than that with us. And our shame becomes his glory. That thing you used to think, if they knew, they couldn't love me. Christ knows and he still loves you. Because let's be honest, we all have a filter. Even in marriage, you have a filter. Because you know there are certain things you cannot say. How do I know? Because you are not divorced, amen. Because there are certain things, as mad as you want to say it, you know, even if we're married, I can't say it. Christ knows those things about you. Think about the worst thing about you. Think about that thing. Mow it over in your head. No, no, no. no. I'll, give you, I'll give you a little experiment. This is what I found to be true. Your sins always look dirtier on other people. What do I mean by that? See, you don't think your clothes are dirty, but if I take your clothes and put them on somebody else's clothes, put them on somebody else's body, you think, how dare they? But that's just your sins on somebody else. But for our own selves... We think it's not that bad. How do I know we do this? With ourselves, we judge our actions based on our intentions, but with everyone else, we judge our actions based on our actions. You give yourself grace, but when somebody else does something, I ain't giving you no grace because you didn't know their intentions. But for you yourself, you know what you say? Pastor Nick, how do you know we do that? Because I do it because you know what I say? Well, that's not what I meant to say. That's not what I meant to do. You're asking for grace because you've offended someone, but when someone offends you, you automatically pull grace and mercy from them. Why? Because your sins always look dirtier on somebody else. They always do. But what Christ has done in that sweeping moment where that woman, where Christ took out her laundry and put it before her, 
in that sweeping moment like a daggum Tide commercial. Amen. And I don't use Tide, by the way. He cleaned it white as snow and says, I love you in spite of this because my love has nothing to do with what you've done. It has everything to do with what I've done and what I'm doing. What I've done and what I'm doing. So now she could tell everybody, hey, I used to have five husbands, but Christ redeemed me. And now I've got one husband. And I've been with him and I've been faithful to him. And Christ has forgiven me from all that. And her shame becomes his glory. When the villagers come to see Jesus, when they come into town, I'm not going to read the entire passage for you, but I want, to, I, want to do, I want to read this first part in verse number 39 real quickly. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Many Samaritans believed because of her testimony. Her testimony was what? He told me all I ever did. He told me all I ever did. This is what's really powerful, church. Our testimony is his story. Our testimony is his story. Our testimony is not how we cleaned ourselves up, how we took our own laundry and scrubbed it and cleaned it, and we brought it to the Lord and said, Lord, it's the best I've got, and the Lord looked at our pitiful efforts and said, I guess I'll love you. No, our testimony is Christ takes our laundry, Christ cleans our laundry, Christ takes our laundry and throws it as far as east and the west, and Christ clothes us in his own righteousness and says, you look and smell like me, so the Father can accept you because you look and smell like me now. And the Father's blessing is not based on your laundry, but based on my righteousness being put on you. You've missed it, amen. That should make you break out in revival. Because our testimony is what God has done. You ever heard somebody tell their testimony and act like they, they did God a favor by getting saved? You ever been around somebody like that when it comes time to testimony time? They act like they did God a favor. Well, you know, I've been you know, working for the Lord for all these years. Brother, he don't need you. Sister, whatever goodness you think you're bringing to the table, you've got nothing. Filthy rags before the Lord, the God of hosts. But at the end of the day, I want you to understand that this is why we cannot be, look at me, this is why we cannot be quiet about this book. This is why, you, somebody says, you know, I, I just can't talk about the Lord. This is why I'm like, how can you not? How can we not talk about this great, great God who saved us? He took our shame and made it his glory. He took our, test, he took our mess and gave it a message. I'm telling you, this is what the Lord does. He specializes in taking what other people throw out and turn it into something. It's what He does. Because our value has nothing to do with us, but it has to do with the beholder of us. Esther really loves right now Toy Story 4, which I would argue with you is probably one of the better ones. I'm not going to lie to you. And the whole premise of the film is this little forky type thing that uh, Bonnie, I'm telling you, I can tell you the whole plot. Bonnie makes it on her first day of kindergarten. And if you ask Esther, hey, what is forky? Esther say, he's trash. Forky trash. And I say, what about Woody? Woody not trash. Because forky just longs. Longs to be back in the trash because he was, he, he was made. He's like, I just want to be back in the trash. And the whole movie is about Woody trying to save Forky, get her back to Bonnie because Bonnie longs and loves for Forky. And we watch that laugh say, how can she love a spork? How can God love us? How can God love us? 
And I'll tell you how God can love us because we were made to be more than the sinners that we are. We were made to be the very images of God. But the very image we were supposed to be a certain way, but because we sinned, because we fall short, it was marred and marred and to the point where we are unrecognizable from what God made us to be. But sometime in the near future, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest news about the story is that it doesn't end at the grave because let me tell you some of the best news of all. There's nothing in your life a good resurrection can't fix. There ain't nothing in your life a good resurrection can't fix. You might say, Pastor, how can you say such a thing? Because there's no other hope besides a good resurrection, amen. There's no other hope. If somebody's got cancer, we can laugh and say, oh, glory's coming. Why? Because there's nothing a good resurrection can't fix. You might think, how can we sit there with people who have died early? Why? Because there's nothing a good resurrection can't fix. Because of the message of the cross, because the message of Christmas is that the baby doesn't stay a baby. That Easter ends when Christmas starts. That at the end of the day, we serve a God who doesn't just start something, but He finishes something to the day of completion. And God does it perfectly. God does it perfectly, church. Because it's only fitting that the shepherds would be the first people to tell the world about the Lamb of God. It's only fitting that the breadbasket of Bethlehem, the place of grain, would be the place where the bread of life was born. It's only fitting that the king of kings be born in a lowly estate because he came not for a glorious entrance, but for a grand purpose. And at the end of the day, church, the worst thing we can do in this body, the worst thing we can do in this building is for this to become old news. Look at me. <clears throat> and how do, Pastor Nick, how can you say such things as this? Because I'm afraid for many of us in this room today, it's became old news instead of good news. You know what I mean by old news? Old news is that news you're so used to it, you quit listening to it. It's on in the background, you don't even pay attention anymore, like, oh, I already know that's old news. This might be an old book, but it's not an old story. Look at me. This is good news. Good news then, good news now, in 2,000 years, it will still be good news. Because the God of the universe crossed time Fathom that for a minute. Wrap your mind. You can't comprehend it. He crossed time and space to be near to you. And we think that what you did before you walked in this building can separate you from the love of God. When time and space can't keep him back. What you did yesterday can't keep him back either. Because he loves you. He loves you and he died for you. And if we could just get, wrap our minds around that, you would go bonkers. Go bonkers telling everybody, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Because when you look at what somebody has wronged you, and you love them in spite of it, you know what that person does? You know that what works up inside of them? Appreciation and love and adoration. Because you know what they know? They know you know. They know you know, and they know you love me in spite of it. You know the hardest person to be a church member of church is a preacher's wife. Pastor Nick, how can you say to her? It's so hard for her. Why? Because she sees me all the time. She doesn't just see me up here looking all good. She sees me all the time. And she loves me in spite of it. Loves me in spite of it. Do understand that you've met a man who told you everything you've ever done. And he loves you in spite of it. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Christ.
Oh, what a Lord. How would we not want to worship Him? How would we not want to bow down before Him? How would we not want to share the good news? Because this is the best news. If your doctor came in and says, I got good news, you're cancer-free, you would tell everybody and their mama. You'd leave out there high-fiving the security guard who was rude to you on the way in. Cancer-free, baby! You're more than cancer-free. You're wrath-free. You're becoming more like Christ daily. Right now, Christ has removed the penalty of sin. Look at me. Pay attention here. He is removing the presence of sin. And one day, he will completely obliterate sin. That's good news, amen. He removed the penalty. He's removing the presence, slowly but surely. I mean, he's removing it slowly but surely. He's drawing sin out of you, so to speak. Sanctification is what they call that. And one day, he will completely annihilate sin, and it'll be gone. What a sweet life that'll be. That's the best thing about eternity. Nobody lies. Praise the Lord. Amen. Nobody's mean. Nobody's angry. Everybody does good deeds all the time. What a place. And it's all because of what Christ has done. Won't you come adore Him? Won't you come bask in His glory? And here's the, be- here's the thing in all church. Won't you tell somebody about Jesus? Won't you tell somebody about the good news? I'd love for us to be so happy. People think we're high on some over here. And say, man, I'm high on the Lord because the Lord has done such a good thing for me. Won't you come? Won't you come? Won't you come? Every head to bow, every eye to close, nobody looking around.